We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Hallelujah. We want more, Lord. We want more of you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. We want more of Him. That's what it takes. More of Him. God bless you this morning. Thank you for worshiping, for being here. Please have a seat. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. say a special thank you today to our visitors that are here. Can we give them a tabernacle of praise? Welcome this morning. I understand that I wasn't here last week. I was vacationing, but I understand you were with us last week and back today. So thank you for coming. Being with God's people is so extremely important today. As I was preparing my message this week, parts of it I didn't quite understand. I, I couldn't follow the flow from God. I just knew what God was giving me. And uh, about 3 o'clock this morning, I, God has this thing where he, he knows when to get a preacher's. I, you know, we're, we're going all the time. and So he knows at 3 o'clock in the morning because that's when he wakes me up every time. 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't know if God's getting a laugh off of me. or, But he woke me up and was just going over in my mind the, the things that we want to talk about today. And uh, my, my uh, clock was set for 5.30, and that's what I, when I get up on Sundays. And sometime between 3 and 5.30, I, I fell back asleep, still trying to understand some of what we're going to talk about today. And as I fell asleep, some, at some point in time, I began to have this dream. I've, I've had more dreams from God this year than I've had in my lifetime. And so that, that, that's alarming to me as a person. I'm not trying to alarm you, but it's alarming to me as a person. Maybe God's trying to get all he can out of me before he takes me. Whatever that is, it's what it is. So as I'm having this dream, I'm, I'm standing behind, beside this huge mountain. And I know I'm standing beside God. I don't see God. I don't touch him. I don't feel him, but I can hear him. And as I'm standing beside this huge mountain, all of a sudden it just begins to crumble. And the rocks and debris are just falling like a landslide off of this massive mountain. And I can see people inside the mountain just tumbling. And the, the debris is just destroying them and tearing them to pieces. And, and, and I, I, I said, God, what does this mean? And as soon as I said that, my alarm went off. So I awoke from the dream not knowing what God, what does this mean? And so as I'm preparing my breakfast this morning and getting ready to come, I just kept asking God, what does this mean? What, what, why, why did I see this in my dream? And so about halfway here, God spoke and said, this is what it means. The mountain is a great nation, a great nation that's going to crumble before your eyes. You're going to see people in the wake of that nation, and you're going to see them destroyed by all that's going to happen. But as long as you stand beside me, I'll stand with you. As long as you stand beside me, I'll stand with you. I was beside that mountain right in front of me, and not a pebble touched me. Nothing to, I felt no wind. I felt nothing touched me. And so 
I, I just feel that, that God is leading me into what I wanted to preach about today, and that's welcome to the new America. Welcome to the new America. In early Amer- American people, in early America, people were excited about a new nation, a nation founded on the principles of the freedom from government intrusion and in the life of its citizens. Independence was declared and a constitution was drafted that ensured the rights of we as citizens and our welfare as a nation. A national flag was created, and it's been altered several times because we've added states to the Union. Uh, We became a nation of laws, a constitutional republic. Many people think that we're a democratic society, but we're, we're not. We're a constitutional republic, and it's different than a democracy. And this constitutional republic is the very thing that shaped our lives and values in the Constitution. We, we became strong in faith as a nation in the early days. Uh, we had resolve. We had commitment to our nation. We, we believed and trusted in one another. We even believed and trusted in our government. That was long ago. Today, the powers that be have sought to destroy the very fabric of our nation by destroying the Union that, that is within us with one another. The powers that be, I'm going to talk about the powers that be a little bit. Just, just be, labor with me some. The powers that be have sought to divide us through politics. This nation is down the middle, 50% one way, 50% another. The powers that be have sought to divide us through racial strife. We've seen more racial strife in the last 10 years than we have in the last 100 years. Has there been things that's gone on in this nation that are wrong? Absolutely. Are the things that need to be made right? Absolutely. But brought to the forefront by the powers that be is strife that rather than us try to work together and make things work like they should, now we're fighting one another. The powers that be have tried to divide us through religious restrictions. We, our forefathers came with the idea that they weren't going to be forced to worship a church of England. They were not going to be forced to worship a certain way, but have a freedom to worship as they please. But now there's restriction after restriction. And if you don't realize it, there's rest- some of the things I'm going to preach today are against the law. They're against the law. So those of you that have the field for prison ministry, pray about it. Some of the things I'm going to preach about today are considered hate speech. And let me premise it with this. If somebody loves you, they're going to tell you the truth. If somebody hates you, they're going to lie. And we're not lying here today. We're going to talk about the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, not set you free, make you free. We're going to talk about those things. My grandson's hearing my voice, and he always tries to outdo me. That's okay. So I'm, I'm louder. I got the mic. The powers that be have even sought to destroy us and divide us through our own personal reliance on a nation. We rely more on the government now than we ever have. We trust the government less than we ever have, and yet we are beholden to the government more than we ever will be. They have practically practically dissolved God from the forefront of our unity and replaced Him with a self-oriented society. Our society is about self, reliant on no more, none other than the politicians themselves. The Constitution is slowly being disassembled. The flag is being discredited. It was spoke this week in national news that the flag of the United States of America is a hate symbol. 
It's a hate symbol. I understand what's gone on in the past. Do I understand everything? No. Because I haven't walked in some people's shoes. But I understand some things through the principles of the Spirit of God. God will reveal things to me about your life that I don't understand physically and have not transcended into those spiritually. But He will then work in His Spirit to help us work together in unity to understand what is going on in our lives. But what's happening is there's a discredited movement of the flag of the United States, saying that the United States flag is nothing more, nothing less. And now the nation is disassociated within itself. We're disassociated as a people. We're losing sight of who we are. We're losing sight of who we are. Welcome to the new America. In the midst of all that has happened in the church, it's, it's kind of moved over into the church of God. The church of God has been caught up in this whirlwind of politics. It's not going to be quiet for long. We've been caught up in racial strife as the church. Economic pressures have come against us in the church. And a lot of people have lost their very sense of being in the church. Let me start with the pastors. In the early days of this country, pastors, regardless, regardless of the denominations, and there were different ones because there were different ideas and different opinions about Scripture, there, was, there were some things that were concrete amongst all the pastors. They, the pastors believed that God was God, and that's what they preached from the pulpit. They believed sin was sin, and that's what they preached from the pulpit. They believed the world was lost, and that's what they preached from the pulpit. And they believed that it was the commission given to the church that we find, seek, and save the lost. They preached that in the pulpit. Today, it's a little different. Welcome to the new America. It wasn't common then to find churches who met not on Sunday or Wednesday, but on a Tuesday, a Friday, a Saturday, and they would come to pray. Now, this wasn't a Pentecostal thing. Pentecostals take, take credit for this, but we can't do that. All, all churches did it back then. They all held prayer meetings. What were their prayer meetings about? They weren't about self. They were about a compassion for the lost. They would meet. I and you, some of you here, some of you have not, have been in prayer meetings. The whole prayer meeting was about the lost. People were wailing and crying and reaching out to God for the lost. That's the way it used to be. Welcome to the new America. You could go most anywhere and find those things, those, those cryings happening. But most of us in this house today have seen a paradigm change. Most churches don't even hold prayer meetings anymore. Most churches don't, especially for the lost. And when we hear it, prayer meetings are about us and our needs and what we need and what we, our diseases and our healings and, our, and it's all about us. We've lost the, the, the idea and the love for the lost because we've become self. That's what the powers that be have done. They've changed us. The paradigm has changed. And now we've moved in that direction. It's, it's hard to get people to commit to one day a month in a prayer meeting. It's hard to get people to. Now, if you feel like Pastor Don's chasing you right now, Pastor Don's not chasing you. This is, this is church-wide. But if you feel that, you, you might want to listen to what God has to say. It's hard to get people to commit to one day a month to come and pray for themselves, much less the lost. 
That's hard. Our prayers seem to gravitate towards me, mine, ours. Boy, y'all didn't think I was going to preach this coming off vacation, did you? It's what a vacation will do for you. We have been, we've become one in introverted thinking. Everything is about, listen, <clears throat> church is about entertainment. Church is about what the church offers me. Church is about what I can get out of the church. Church is about what, and it's me and mine. That's, most people that look for a church, they got to have this, 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 and this before I'll even a, attempt to go there. It's got to be something that caters to me. The lost, those are without, welcome to the new America. And let, let me say something about Romans eleven twenty nine 29 tells us that the gifts, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. The word gifts there means abilities. It, 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 it's, a, it's a thing God gives you. The word calling simply means an invitation. And what's happened in the church is that we've messed up gifts, calling, and talents. There's a reason this has happened. The powers that be have made sure that we've crossed over. Gifts are things that God has given you. It's a, it's, it's a thing God gave you because God gave it to you for you to use it in His kingdom. Listen, God has given you gifts, and certain of you are good at certain things. Okay? God intends for you to use them in your everyday life. In your living, uh, in, in your home family, in your work. You, it, use those, God gave you those gifts for that reason. But the main intent is to use the gift that God give you in the church to reach the lost. The previous scripture, verse 28, Paul is writing to the church and he says, concerning the gospel. So the things I'm talking about right now are concerning the gospel. The gifts that are given you are concerned for the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news. It's Jesus Christ. It's what He can do in your life. And the invitation is what God... God will never force you to tell anybody about Him. He'll never make you ever testify to anybody about Him. It's an invitation. An invitation to... Preach the gospel. Well, I thought that's what pastors did. Well, that's what we're supposed to do. But let me touch on that one. Let me. Can, y'all want me to get back on the pastors and get off y'all for a minute? And, instead of preaching that God is God, instead of preaching the lost is lost, and, and instead of saying that, hey, listen, it's the commission of Jesus Christ for all of us to be out looking for those that are lost and to find them and to bring them so they can be saved. Now we've got it where we tickle the ears of the saint of God so that the saint of God will then come each week and the saint of God will bring their, do, their tithes, their money, their, and then I as a pastor can just keep tickling ears and what will happen is, then this is probably going to make us drop, <laughs> is that one day I'm going to retire. This has nothing to do with anybody here. But one day I'm going to retire and I'm going to have a golden parachute because look at all this that I've accumulated. That's what you find in pastorship today. That's what you find, not all pastors, but that's what's happening in the church world today. Welcome to the new America. Welcome to the new America. Some of you already know where I'm headed here. 
In Luke 14, Jesus tells the parable of the kingdom of God being like a certain man making a great supper and bidding those to come in. Many people that the servants encountered made excuses why they couldn't come to the supper. So the master of the house says, Servants, go out into the streets of the city and invite anybody that wants to come to the supper. Invite them in. So the servants did that, and the servant came back and said, We did what you said, Lord, but there's still room. So the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. That word, compel, means necessitate or constrain. It's not something that we're invited to do. It's something we're commanded to do. Go into the highways. But in welcome to the new America. What we do is we put it online. What we do is we, we, we put it on television. What we do is we, we put it on the computer. What, and understand something. I'm not, let me stop here. I'm not against technology. I don't understand a lot of it, but I'm not against it. It's a great avenue to do and use. But understand something. Nothing. There, there is no Facebook, no text message, no telephone call that will give you a relationship with anybody. Never get a relationship out of those. You'll make a contact and that's it. Relationship is what Jesus was saying in this parable. Make a relationship. Go out and find them. Some people, oh, well, I don't feel like I'm compelled. You need to get feeling compelled. I don't think that's part of what we do in the church today. You're absolutely right. That's the problem. We need to be compelled to go out and find them. They have no idea, some of them, there's a supper going on at all. And so it's, you know why home Bible studies worked so well back in the day? Jana and I used to teach them. And let's not pat on our back. We just, we just knew God called us to do this. They work so well because you spent 10 or 12 weeks in a person's home once a week going over the Word of God and talking about the Word of God, but you were building and establishing a relationship with that family that after three months, somebody comes into your house once a week for three months, don't think you're not going to know something about them. You're going to develop a relationship. Not only did in the middle of that we would see people baptized in Jesus' name, receive the Holy Ghost, lives transformed, but we made friends. And we saw relationships, and they connected to the church. They wanted to come to the church. That's what Jesus said. Go into the highways. Go into the hedges. Go find them. Our idea today is put it out on, let's broadcast it, and they'll come to us. Welcome to the new America. Television, radio, computers, they're all good. They serve a purpose. They don't bring relationships. Relationships are what reach the lost. A real relationship with people. Meeting with someone once a week to pray with them about their life develops a relationship. Meeting with somebody once a week to talk about God's Word builds a relationship. No amount of sermons on a website, messages over an airwave, ever substitute for interaction with people. Ever. We as the church are compelled to go, but for some reason in the new America, we're reluctant. We're reluctant. I think part of it is, as the church of the living God, we've lost our love for the souls of people because we've learned how to live, how to live with the lost. 
We've lost our love for the lost. We've learned how to live with the lost, to coexist with the lost in the world and just keep going along our daily because we've learned how to live with them without it affecting us. Lot had the same problem. As Abraham's nephew, Lot came from good stock. Abraham was the father of the faithful. Abraham listened to the voice of God, and his nephew knew that and followed him. But Lot made a choice to take his family to the plains of Shinar, to a city called Sodom. There Lot learned how to live. He learned how to live with the lost. He learned how to live with them. Rather than going there, seeing what was going on, knowing the voice and the hand of God, he just said, you know what, I think I can live amongst them. And he did. He just kept his peace, and they all got along. And that seems to be the new America. Let's just keep our peace in the church. We'll just get along with the world. It seems that we think that if we bring part of the world towards us and we integrate that into the church, they'll be able to relate to us. Mm. I'm going to tell you something. As a person from the world, they, they, what they already have, they don't need. What they already have, they don't want. They want what we have and need. They want what we have and need. But instead of us reaching out and trying to bring in what they do to make the church more compatible with them, we should be presenting what we have and what God's given us to meet a need because that's what they're really looking for. But we're reluctant to do that because like Lot, we just want to get along. It was only after God sent messengers to Lot and said, listen, there's an impending doom coming that Lot left with his daughters and his wife, his wife turning back, turning to a, to a table of salt, that the entire inhabitants and the city of Sodom and Gomorrah totally destroyed. But learning how to live with the lost instead of loving the lost came at a higher price. Lot's daughters saw that their dad had no seed or heir. And so what they did was they, they, they got him drunk and they both had physical relations with him, and they both bore him sons, Ammon and Moab. The Ammonites and the Moabites were two of the fiercest enemies Israel ever had, all because Lot learned to live with the lost. That's the cost. Out of those two sons, Israel had constant trouble and pain. Learning to live with the lost instead of learning love the lost comes at a steep price. Listen to me, church. It comes at a very steep price because it wasn't Lot who paid the price and it wasn't his daughters that paid the price. It was his heirs that paid the price. If we don't learn to love the lost again, our children are going to suffer the consequence. We've got to learn to love the lost, not just live and know how to live amongst them. But welcome to the new America. Not too many people, not too many years ago, people in our nation were driven to do the right thing. To, to, to do the right thing. They weren't overcome by the desire of success. People treated each other fairly in all walks of life. Did we have troubles and issues? Absolutely. But the status of the nation was that we, work, we live one another, we work with one another, and, and we coexist with one another, and we do each other right. We live for the common good of America. 
How many people do you know today live for the common good of America? Me neither. We're totally driven by self-results. We're totally driven by the act of results. Our success is determined by and large by the results of our labors. That's how we see success today in the new America. Noah spent 117 years following the instructions of God building an ark. All the while, every day, preaching of an impending doom. Boy, there's a, does this ring, ring a message about a, a mountain that's crumbling? Of an impending doom that's going to happen to the world that was going to befall the people. Every day, he worked on that ship. Every day he preached to any passerby. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, into a century, he preached it and he preached it and he preached it. And at the end of his labor, as the day drew, drew close and the rains began to fall, do you know how many converts Noah had? None. In 117 years, he had zero converts. Even though he, he, he built that ship and he preached that word, none. Not a single one. On the surface, it appears Noah was a failure. It appears Noah was a failure. On the surface, it appears that Noah wasn't a success because of the results or the lack thereof. But Noah was very successful. You see, success in God is not measured by results. Success in God is measured by obedience. Success in God is not measured by results. If that's the fact, you can scratch Abraham off. If that's the fact, you can scratch David off. You can scratch Paul off. You can scratch Peter off. You can scratch the apostles off. Success in God is not measured in results. It's measured in obedience. He obeyed God every single day. But guess what happens in the new America? Do we obey God every single day? Do we believe the Great Commission? Or do we believe it's a... God's asking us, would you favor me and perhaps go and reach out? It's a commission. We're commissioned. You ever seen a ship commissioned? A ship, a warship is commissioned and it's commissioned to be built first. And so they work laborers hard hours and they build this warship and, and, and because it's been commissioned by the government to build it. They get all of the structure built and they get all of the outer layer plates and the inner layer plates and they get all the guns and the turrets and they get everything put on the ship. But then the ship is not traditionally commissioned until that ship is pushed out into that water and it floats on the seas that it's meant to float on. That's when it's actually commissioned. It's in use. And we have been given a commission, and in our lives, God has built thing into, things into our lives. And He's now commissioned us to go out into the sea of people. But welcome to the new America. Our society, even in our churches, still judge success by results not obedience. How would you like to, for the next 117 years, canvas the neighborhoods around here? 
How about the next 17 years? How about the next 17 days? How would you for the next 17 days like to canvas this entire area and not get one convert, one visitor? You know what? You're very successful if you do it because that's the call that you have, the Great Commission, to go into the highways and the hedges, go into the streets, and that's the call. When you've done that part, when you're done, you've done your, your obedience, you have succeeded in God. The results are the results. There are people that you and I have talked to in the past that we have long since, 40 years ago, never seen them again. But they're living for God because of what you said to them or how you treated them or what you taught them. See, you don't see the results, but you did the obedience. That's the success that God's looking for. Our churches are filled with programs, seminars, websites. They get better message to make it to be successful. Did you know Sunday school is not a Christian entity at all? A Methodist minister saw young children on the street knowing that on the Sunday that he had church, saw them running knowing that their parents were neglecting to teach them the Word of God. And so what he did was he decided rather than Monday through Friday, he was going to have school on Sunday for them. And he was going to teach them the Word of God. And so he started a thing that we call Sunday school. He came up with the idea of school on Sunday. And the Sunday school has evolved into an integral part of the Christian church today. I'm not against Sunday school. Please, I love Sunday school teachers. There is a special heart in a Sunday school teacher. It's very special. And I'm going to explain to you why. See, more children today in the new America learn their Bible stories at Sunday school. Most children learn to memorize Scripture Today in a new America in Sunday school. Most children learn how to pray in Sunday school. Because most parents won't take their children to church that offers a good Sunday school unless it's a Sunday school that's going to do these things to replace what they're called to do. God didn't call any teacher in any church to teach your children how to pray, read, and he called, if He gave you those children, it is your responsibility. If they learn a Bible story, it ought to come from home. If they learn how to pray, it ought to come from home. If they, they, come on now. Come on. Y'all know you can't vote me out, right? All right just so y'all are aware. You can all leave, and it'll just be me, but Jude will stay with me. But for some reason, there are people in the church that see this and say, you know what, I'm going to teach Sunday school because I can see these children need God in their life. Man, what would happen if you shut down Sunday school in America? I'm going to tell you what would happen. The churches will empty. The churches will empty because Sunday school is a babysitter for most people that come to church on Sunday. Boy, y'all didn't think I was going to do this right after coming off, did you? It's a babysitter. Most people won't come to a church if they don't have a good Sunday school program, a good youth program, 
a good singles program, all of those things. And so we, the new America, man, we programmed our way right out of Christianity. Again, I love Sunday school. Thank God for Sunday school. Thank God for Sunday school teachers. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But that should be secondary to what we as parents should be doing with our children. Shame on us if they learn how to be born again in Sunday school. I knew that was going to get quiet. Shame on us if our children learn how to be born again in Sunday school. They should have experienced that at home. They should have been talked about that at home. Shame on us if when we pray, our children look at us like, what is that? In the early days of America, men would sit their family around their table after dinner or before breakfast, and they would literally open the Bible and talk Bible to their family. They knew it was their responsibility. But welcome to the new America. In many houses and places today, and many homes, a Bible's never cracked. And we have more Bibles in our country than any country in the world. We have more translations of the Bible than any country in the world. We have more access to the Bible than any country in the world. That's why there's going to be those that say, Lord, I just don't think you should hold that against me in judgment because I didn't really know that. Yeah, yeah. And the Lord's going to say, well, what about that book that sat in your house for 40 years? Did you not think to check about what I said about that? But welcome to the new America. Men, we've got to understand something. We have a personal responsibility given to us by God to be the spiritual leaders of our homes first. First. To be the physical leader of your home before spiritual is going to cause disaster. If your physical life is more important to you than your spiritual life, you're setting yourself up for disaster. You're going to find a family that's going to fall apart. You're going to find kids that go astray. You're going to find kids that don't know God. You're going to have a wife. Matter of fact, sir, the question would be to me, do I know God? Do I believe God? Do I believe His Word? That's the question today. Because here's the thing about faith. You either believe Him or you don't. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the evidence of not. Either you believe it or you don't. There's no gray area in faith. There's no, well, I have a little bit of faith. No, no, there's no such thing. There is no gray area in faith. Well, I have, if you have faith, it's a grain of a mustard seed. See, Jesus has given you an out. All you need is a little. And you can speak to that crumbling mountain. Be thou removed, and it'll be removed into the sea. Man, we, we've got we've to do something about this new America. It's got to start somewhere. Got to start with me as pastor. And everybody should have said amen. If, if, if your leader can't start, then wh why would I even ask you to be involved? In early America, when families struggled, other families pitched in in their struggle. 
People built homes together. People worked fields together. People went to church together. America was a community. There weren't communities in America. America was a community. Not just a country, a community. When I was a boy, and I grew up in a country in southeast Texas. Now, catch this. When I was a boy, I had white friends. I had black friends. I had Hispanic friends. I had Asian friends. I have Native American friends. We were all friends. That was before the new America. We went to school together. We played sports together. We stayed at each other's homes. We went to each other's churches. We lived in a community together. We didn't see each other. We didn't have time to see each other as black, white, Hispanic, Asian, or or Native American. We didn't have time for that. We didn't see each other that way. We simply were a community because there was times in our community when my family needed help and everybody helped. There was times in our community when other families and we helped. We didn't care what color they were. But the powers that be, I'm getting there. I'm almost there. The powers that be have made sure that we have now divided ourselves racially in this country where we don't even want to help one another because of race. This isn't a new thing, y'all. Jesus dealt with it when he was here. Jesus dealt with it. People haven't changed much in 2,000 years. The powers that be have urbanized America into a collective that battles in race, religion, and politics. That's all you hear today in America. The news is about race, the news is about religion, or the news is about politics. That's all it's about. Even when we have worldwide Olympics, where it's supposed to just be amateurs and pros coming together, and they're just having sports to see who can do things the best, and you know what happens in these? Politics, religion, race. It happens in all of them. There's nothing we're not doing today because the powers that be are making sure that this happens to divide us, to divide humanity. Not many years ago, you could have a conversation about religion or about politics, and you could disagree vehemently, but shake hands, pat each other on the back, and remain friends in spite of your differences. It was okay that I didn't believe like you, and you didn't believe like me. We still love one another. Today... Well, welcome to the new America. Because if you don't believe like me, you're a hater. If you don't believe like me, you're a hater. Because you don't, oh, you believe like me? Well, okay, now we can all get along. Because after all, new America is about me. The whole reason America exists is because of Don Biddick. America thrives in its economy for Don Biddick. America does everything. That's how Americans feel today. Welcome to the new America. We're just so divided, and the problem is, in the church, we've allowed all of this stuff to divide us even in the church. Disagreeing is no longer called disagreeing. There's no such thing. There's no such word. The powers that be have done a real good job. Who are the powers that be? Who is this? It's you and me. 
It's you and me. When you look at other people, you know, the one thing my dad told me years ago, when you're pointing at people, look at the other three fingers that are pointing back at you. You're three times worse off. Quit pointing. Quit saying it's somebody else's fault, somebody else's problem, somebody else's situation. It's mine. It's my fault. Ephesians 6 tells us how the powers that be, you and I, are affected. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There are powers outside of us, principalities, powers and rulers in darkness. There, there are spiritual wickednesses in high places that we allow to affect us as the church. And so we are the powers that be that are affected by the outside source. The new America has dropped its armor over the years and placed, replaced its armor with pacification, complacency, and apathy. The new America has lost not just its love for the lost. Jesus said if you can't love your neighbor, there's no way you can love God. It's not possible. If you don't love the lost, if Pastor Don doesn't love the lost that he comes in contact with, he's lying to everybody that he loves God. I'm, I'm lying to you that I love God if I don't love the lost because that's who my neighbor is. We've relegated neighbor to church folk. We've relegated neighbor to preachers, pastors, teach people in the church. Neighbors are the lost folk. That's who we're supposed to be loving. And when I don't love them, I don't love. You see, either I believe God or I don't. There is no middle ground. I'm either going to believe God and what He said, or I'm just not going to believe God. You know, I've said this a hundred times. I'm going to say it 101. If you intend to live part world and part God, get on out in the world and have at it and enjoy yourself. Go get everything you can get. I'm telling you, seriously. Go get all the world you can get because it's the best you're ever going to have in, in, in here or eternity. And if you're going to try to halfway live for God, get out of that and go into the world or get into God and do all the way. Live all the way for God or all the way for the world. If you try to halfway either way, you have lost, 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 and you will be lost, lost, lost. God's calling us to revival. We, we think revival is we get the lost to come to the church. The pastor invites a fellow pastor and he preaches messages and the, the lost are, we call that revival. God is saying there's a mountain, a nation that's crumbling around us. And if we don't have revival in our souls first, if we don't reach out to God with personal revival, then we will be those that are tumbling down that mountainside who the rocks and the parts of the mountain and the debris are just chewing up and destroying because we're not standing by God. He can't stand by us. It's not that He can't. It's not that He doesn't want to. But we're not allowing it. The powers that be, we're not allowing it. There's an old saying that I can't say because it was before I came to God. So I'm going to tell it this way. Either get in the car and drive or get out of the car. You go from there. Get in the car and drive or get out of the car. Don't just sit in the car. You know how stupid you look sitting in a car just sitting there? 
I know how stupid I look. If God destroyed Sodom, if God destroyed Jerusalem, don't think there's not another mountain he won't destroy. It was a sobering dream for me because that was the last thing I wanted to hear from God. This mountain is a great nation that's about to crumble. That's, that's, that should be sobering to us. And the people I'm looking at in that dream that are rolling down that mountain being destroyed by debris are the people that I failed to reach. They're the people that Pastor Don in his life failed to reach. I can reach people, but God does his thing. I've just got to do the obedience part, the commission part. In the Scripture, it says, Go ye into all nations. Listen, we relegate things to preachers. And can I just say this? Preachers love doing it, but we can't do it. We can't do it all. Sunday school teachers can't do it all. When Jesus told the disciples, the disciples, let me ask you what you are or who you are. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? He said to the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He wasn't talking to pastors, evangelists. He was, but not just them. He was talking to all of us. It's going to take all of us to reach who we need to reach. Our world is crumbling around us. Listen, if you've got your head in the sand, pop it out. Wash your eyes off. Take a good close look. I'm not, listen, y'all know, I'm not a prophet. I don't claim to be a prophet. I don't want to ever stand before God's people or God and say I'm a prophet when God's never called me to that. But I know when God tells me things. As a pastor, this goes scare you. Bishop gets a smile out of it because he knows. As a pastor, God tells me things about you that you've never told me. As a pastor, God tells me things about you. Why does he do that? So we can tattletale on each other? So that we can expose each other? No. God loves you. And he wants your shepherd to know so that your shepherd can bring you back into the fold and be protected, not lost. It's, it's, Bishop and I were talking about it this morning. The anguish that a pastor goes through is not understood by the saint because of this very thing. You understand the disturbing things about people's lives that nobody else does. And, it, and again, it's not to, listen, if I've ever come to you and downplayed you or downplayed your situation, accept my apology, pray for me, because that is not what we do. We don't expose your sin. We don't expose your problems. We don't talk to anybody about your situations. That's not what we do. As a shepherd, I'm here to make sure every single one of you is saved. I can't afford in my heart to see you tumbling down the mountainside, being chewed up by the rocks and debris as this mountain crumbles. In church, it's crumbling. It's crumbling. There were those in the Old Testament that preached like this. Most of the time they got beat up or robbed, run out of town or people called them crazy. So do one of the, just call me crazy. Don't try to beat me up. I just turned 64 last Sunday. 
but I can still fight like a rooster. That's something that for some reason hadn't left me. No, I'm not out fighting people. Y'all don't. I may be a little slower. God wants us to awake ourselves from our slumber. He's challenging the church worldwide right now. If you're listening at all to what's going on in the world, he's challenging his church worldwide right now to step up. Because not only is this great nation crumbling, this world's crumbling. It's time to return to what made us great. That was God. God gave us a great nation, and we have sorely misused it. God gave us a great nation. It's time to turn, turn our, you know, a lot of old-fashioned preaching just isn't good, but it's the best because it's the truth. It's time for us to arise from the ashes of our division as a nation and call on God to save us as a people. Don't give up on what God wants to do. God doesn't want to just wipe out this world and say, c'est la vie, whatever. If you've ever lost a child, and I haven't, but I know those who have, it's devastating to lose a child. You imagine how God must feel with every child he loses. He's God. He doesn't feel, oh, wait a minute. Mm -mm. Because we have love that God's given us, there are attributes to our life and things in our life that causes us to love our children. That doesn't come because we're so good a parent. There's nothing good, no one good but God. It comes through the love of God that comes through us. That comes from God. So you understand, God has that same principle feeling about as a parent, not to want to lose a child. Don't give up on what He wants to do. Fear has gripped a nation in our clothes. Fear has gripped a nation in a world. Fear has gripped, you know, thank you for affirmation, Austin, because we've talked about Fear has gripped this nation, even the church of God. We're afraid of COVID. We're afraid of economics. We're afraid of war. We're afraid of disease. We're afraid, we're afraid, we're afraid, we're afraid, we're afraid. And fear has gripped us. But 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says that we're not given the spirit of fear. You understand fear is a spirit. It's not an emotion. When you have fear in your life, a spirit, a spirit is pushing against your very soul. And that spirit of fear knows how to attack your feeling. Because the opposite, what happens when we fear is that we really are bringing God's faithfulness into question. What happens when you and I fear we let that spirit come upon us. We begin to question God's faithfulness. God said He would, but, but, 
I know God said in His Word, but this is all I see. Understand something. Fear is a very dangerous spirit in the life of any human, especially in the church. When we begin to question God's faithfulness, then we too begin to crumble. The Bible says we're not given that spirit, though. Uh uh. We're given a spirit of power. But welcome to the new America. We've been given a spirit of love. Welcome to the new America. We've been given a spirit of a sound mind. The Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And if you fear one day and faith the next, you are double-minded. If I fear one day, but then I have faith, I'm just double-minded. And in everything that I do, I'm just unstable. I don't know which direction I'm headed. It's come to a time in the church of the living God that we either believe God or we close the doors. We either believe God or we close the doors. There's no point in having church if we don't believe God. There's no point in us gathering together here. Well, it makes me feel good because I get to check off my boxes. There's no point in that. It makes me feel good because I get to see so-and-so that I didn't see all week. No point in that. If we don't come here and believe God, it's time to close the door. If we want our nation back, and I'm not talking about the country, I'm talking about the people, we first got to take the church back. We first got to take the church back. We have to bring ourselves out of fear and disbelief. Now faith. Jesus doesn't operate in yesterday faith, and He doesn't operate in tomorrow faith. He operates in now or today faith. Jesus said, "Don't you can't do anything about yesterday. Forget it. He said, not a thing you can do about tomorrow. Forget it. So why don't you concentrate on today? That's why now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He wants us to operate today in our faith. Stand with me if you would. We reveled as a nation when the USSR fell apart. We had parties in, the, in America because the USSR fell apart. The USSR crumbled. It dissolved. The USSR doesn't even exist anymore. Did you know that? It's a series of countries that all have their dynamics. But there is no USSR anymore. Man, we were happy about that. You remember this? Mr. Gorbachev. Somebody say it. Tear down that wall. We were reveling. But you know who's reveling now? They see the crumbling of a nation. 
They, they see the destruction. They see a great mountain falling before them, and they're reveling because they know the powers that be in this country aren't doing anything about it. If you want God to take care of your business, you take care of God's business. Every single time you take care of God's business, He takes care of your business. So that tells me we got some business to be taken care of here because our business ain't getting taken care of, if I can say it in East Texas language. Our business ain't getting taken care of, and it's not because God can't do it or won't do it. We got to take care of God's business. Man, we got to stand up and be the leaders. I know that's not popular in our society today. Doesn't have to be. As long as it's popular with God, I don't care who else likes it or doesn't like it. As long as it's popular with God, if it's His Word, you know, I said it before, that old, that old sticker, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Just take out the I believe it part. God said it, that settles it. Whether you believe it or not, it settles it. So why don't you get on the belief? Why don't I get on the belief? Why don't we just go ahead and believe it? Because it's settled anyway. God's Word's already settled. He's already settled everything that's going to happen in heaven. It's already done. God's already built. God has already, right now, God's at the end. God doesn't live in time like you and I. God lives in eternity. Right now, He's sitting at the end watching what's going down here. This is what happened. This is what's going down. This God's already there. He already. God's watching the declaration being signed. He's watching the Romans destroy Jerusalem. He's watching Cain kill Abel. He lives in eternity. If you believe that, then you can believe His Word. God's an eternal God. And it's time the church stands up and says, Okay. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Some of y'all felt like you got spanked today. I can tell. I can tell by looking at your face. How do you think Pastor Don's felt all week? I used to get spankings every day when I was a little boy. I deserved it. My parents weren't doing it for the fun of it. They didn't like doing it. They, my mom got tired of it. At six, she didn't spank me anymore. It didn't hurt. Oh, but daddy knew what to do. So sometimes in the church, mom, the church, Sometimes it just doesn't hurt anymore. But I'm going to tell you something. Daddy knows what to do. We have the Spirit when we cry, Abba, Father. Daddy, He knows what to do. He knows how to get our attention. I would much rather them tell me than spank me, then tell me. I tried them both, and the just telling me part of me doing it worked well. But when they told me and I didn't do it, and they spanked me, and then they told me again, that, man, that got old quick. What is God saying today? There's a nation around us crumbling. There's a people that are falling at our feet. But if we'll just stand with God, He'll stand with us. No matter what happens, Jesus said this over 
and over and over. And now I think maybe you understand. He walked into a place and his first two words were, fear not. He knew what that spirit was doing to his people. And he said, release that. Release that spirit of fear. Don't let that spirit of fear come against you and, and, and deal with your mind and your heart and make you feel certain emotions. And Don't let that spirit do that any longer. Fear not. Fear not. I learned a long time ago, one of the best ways to get a point across is physical. Fear, goodbye. Out the door. Hit it. You don't belong here. It's not your church. It's not your people. You have no authority or power. You don't have a reason of being here. You started clapping too early. It's just that the powers that be allow you to visit. I'm going to open these altars this morning. Every day is a decision day, isn't it? You decide every day to live for God. Every morning you wake up, you decide to live for God. That's a decision you make every day. Now is a decision time. Do we take back? Do we take back our church? Do we take back our state? Do we take back our nation? There are people that I see on television that I have no uh, personal heart relationship to. You know what? Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I see them over and over. They're news people or or maybe an actor, or some, but I see them, but, but I see them, you know, there's somebody I see, but for some reason I don't have a heart relationship. Why is that? Well, I hadn't had the opportunity to invest some time in a relationship at all. God doesn't, God's not calling me to Hollywood. Don't, go to all the actors. He's not calling me to NBC, CBS, ESPN, ABC, none of those. What I'm saying is this, in all facets of life, God calls His people to just Follow that great commission. You get the opportunity. You never know. You never know. The revival in Ethiopia happened because of one eunuch and a man named Philip. Revivals happen all over the place. People's lives are changed all over the place. And it's you, you look in Scripture. God usually takes one person and says, Hey, w- would you do the commission for me today? Would you live the commission for me today? Lord Jesus, we stand at this altar today. We sit at our seats. We're in this building today. Sometimes the thoughts are sobering in our lives because we've just missed the realization through our living. We, the powers that be, just allow things to slip and slide. We do that in our own lives. We do that in our families. It happens in our state. It's happened in our country. My, how we've slidden away from you. But Lord, we're never too far that your hand doesn't reach. We're never out of your touch. We're never too far that you don't love us. 
And so today, Lord, my first request is that you reach into the hearts of your people in this building. Just let them know you love them. What's been said here today is for our good, our benefit, and should cause us to feel the heart of God today. God, help us to understand that today in this building. Change me, Lord, as as pastor. But more than that, change me as a Christian. That I can't walk by someone that's lost. That I don't feel a draw and a pull and a tug. Because your word says that no man cometh to God except the Spirit draw him. And if there's a lost person that's there and your Spirit is there drawing them, your Spirit dwells in me. I should be able to feel that, to understand that. God, give me the words. Sometimes it's just an interaction. Sometimes it's just a pat on the back. Sometimes it's a thank you or can I help you. Lord, whatever it might be, God, help me as a Christian, as your son. Lord, help me to be so aware. Help us as a church, Lord, not to be a church that's of the new America. God, we appreciate all the blessings you've given us all the technology that we've seen in our lives, God. Many of us have seen an amazing transformation in this country, technological-wise. But we've also seen that transformation that we don't like to talk about. But God, we're here as a church. Tabernacle of Praise is here today to say, here we are, God. Take us back to where we started. Lord, I know in the natural world, if, if a baseball team is a great team, but they begin to falter, the coach just takes them back to the basics. Just to revisit the basics. And it re-energizes the team. Lord, take us back to the basics. Re-energize us. In Jesus' name. Church, would you just reach out to the Lord right now? For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather. And you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.